Space. The final frontier. Well, okay, not, not really. All right, uh, take two, take two. Here in the Mitten State, welcome to Code 47, bringing you all things Star Trek, spanning the quadrants, the best thing since the neutral zone. And we are back here on the Secret Friends Unite Network. This is the Code 47 podcast, episode 65, uh, coming at you from the great state of Michigan. I am Charlie Carden, uh, Trek Lord of West Michigan, uh, captain of the USS Grand Petoskey, the uh, West Michigan chapter of the Starfleet International Fan Club, uh, joined as always by my awesome co-host, Katie Q. Katie, how are you doing this wonderful Saturday evening? I am doing fantastic. I have a drink in my Harley Quinn tumbler glass, so I'm ready to go. <laughs> oh, goodness. I did a little bit a little bit too much pregame, and I left my drink in the other room, so we might have to have a, a sesura, as they say in music, and a little pause between segments. <laughs> i got to refill my drink, so we'll see what happens. But, uh, yeah, we're, we're back. Uh, you know, we're in the thick of it, talking about Star Trek Discovery. Uh, we're talking, uh, we're actually, we're in our third of four segments talking about the second season of Star Trek The Next Generation. Uh, so without further ado, we'll get into that. Uh, but we do have two things before we jump into that. We've got a great uh, a VHS cover uh, from episode 65 of Star Trek. The original series, which Katie, you and I were talking earlier today. I know it's not your favorite. Um, what is but happening I, in this cover, Charlie? I'm what trying did to you send me. I'm remember. I'm remembering this episode, the Enterprise, and again, this is a very late uh, in the series episode because again, the original series only had 79 episodes. This was episode 65. They found this like big rock in space that was like a planetoid, but it was traveling. At like high velocity, it was going to hit a planet, so they had to they had to beam aboard it and try to figure out a way to stop it or whatever. And so in this, they find as Kirk, you know, as Kirk, you know, they with any supercomputer, they find the brain of it. But when Kirk and Spock touch it, they get this like terrible '60s like photo effect to it. So okay. it's. It's a little ridiculous. No, that's not. Folks, I'm going to describe this to you as someone who has not seen the episode. Please. <laughs> so there is a pyramid, like a very very minimalist robot, I guess you could say. <laughs> basically but, like kind of an upside down triangle with a regular triangle, like on top of a regular triangle. <laughs> and then you have a basically orange overlay on Spock and Kirk, who look like they're a little too involved with this minimalist robot figure. Right, Kirk, like caressing it and like pressed against it, and Spock. I don't know what Spock's doing in the back, but this does not. This look. This may has me. There's a lot of questions. I'll just put it that way. I know I just started like four sentences and stopped halfway through, but that's because I just don't know what to say about this. <laughs> you know, I would, and, and plus this also has the longest name for any single episode. For the world is hollow, and I have touched the sky. And again, at some point in the future, uh, Peter is my guy who covers TOS because Katie refuses to, so yep. he'll be back. Uh, so we will talk about this episode at that time, but I will certainly remember uh, this conversation when we do. But yeah, it uh, looks like this aired uh, in uh, uh, November of 1968, and boy, does it look like it. So anyway, uh, moving on, we do actually have a new story this week uh, What I in what I respectfully dub segment one half, segment 
50% or one half or half <laughs> of the Starfleet dispatch because I don't, I don't like to mess with the order of things. Um, but yeah, there was an announcement from Viacom this week. Uh, as all corporations are doing, they are rebranding. Uh, Paramount Plus is simply going to become Paramount. So it's a plus and a minus. Um, which makes sense. They're going on more of a global scale. They're trying to find something a little bit more universal. Uh, and, you know, I mean, it, you know, what works for Disney Plus obviously doesn't work for everybody. Um, but, yeah, this well, one. It's, it's Viacom CBS rebranded as Paramount. So I think well, they're keeping Paramount Plus, they're just oh. actually changing their name. Oh, I see. Okay. So I got- CBS now, instead of being called Viacom CBS, they're just Paramount. So everything's Paramount instead of like the global CBS thing. I think. Right. Exactly. Makes sense to me. Cause again, uh, keep it, keep it in, you know, keep it all in the family as it were. But um, this, this came from a Viacom investors call uh, where they talked a little bit more about strange new worlds, which is awesome. We're going to get that in May. I'm super fired up about that. Cause I love the character of captain Pike, uh, you know, because mm-hmm. you know, the gray hair, uh, this character, I love mm-hmm. cosplaying. Um, but we did end up getting an announcement about something. Uh, I would. <laughs> I wouldn't say I'm fired up about, but I, I want to. You know, I, I don't want to to embrace the the concept of militant fanboyism and saying, "Oh, this really sucked." And blah, 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 blah. Uh, the the J.J. Abrams Kelvin timeline, uh, which started in 2009 with Star Trek. Uh, followed with uh, Star Trek Into Darkness in 2013 and wrapped up in 2016 with Star Trek Beyond, gave us Chris Pine as Captain Kirk and Zachary Kinto as Spock, yada, yada, yada. So gave us a lot of big names rebooting the original series. Really didn't adhere to canon in any way, shape, or form. Uh, played very loosely with the fact that this was a spinoff universe, whatever it is. But I myself didn't care for the storytelling. I can see the value in the fact that it probably opened it up to potentially a wider audience but you know katie you're sitting here watching these older star treks with me what are your thoughts on the kelvin universe um well i mean i'll i'll start by saying you know like the paramount star trek thing or the paramount cbs i was like okay that's fine i feel like they're kind like you were saying kind of like disney's trying to put like all their eggs in one basket with their paramount, right like, we are star trek and i'm like that's great this isn't like you're not disney <laughs> like and this isn't marvel right right um, but in all fairness, like I, I enjoyed the original reboot, if that makes sense. The, the first, the 2009 film. That's what yeah, you're the 2009. I was like, okay, and it, it felt kind of like the same way that they did with Star Wars, where they're like, we're going to make it enough the same so that like we can kind of play an homage to the original and then mm-hmm. make our own stuff. Like they had, you know, Leonard Nimoy come in as Spock, and they're like, cool, this is how it ties in. Now we can go do our own thing. And right. then they did Into Darkness, and they were like, oh, by the way, we're just retelling an old story. This isn't, right. this isn't Wrath of Khan, but it's Wrath of Khan. And, right. Um, Super thumbs down. I honestly, the most compelling thing about Star Trek Beyond be, um, was the chick on the cover next to Spock and uh, Kirk. Yeah, Jayla. Was, Jayla. Yeah, that was her name. Was the yeah. Most interesting thing about that movie. I literally could not tell you what that movie was about. I did not remember what the movie was called until I looked at this news thing and it was on the side of like shop related products. So I had no interest in it whatsoever. I mean, it, that's that's bad. That's terrible because, you know, that how does that speak to the brand? You know, it just right. absolutely oh, sinks it. 
Star Trek, for me, the parts that I find really engaging are the quandaries that happen, like the philosophical discussions of like the more right. gray areas. Like, what do we do when we're we put in these impossible situations? And it seemed like they were more focused on like the action-packed sequences where they're like, we have to make it big. We have to make it bold. It has to be crazy special effects and these dynamic fight scenes. And I'm like, okay, that's cool. But there's no real like conversation happening and mm-hmm. i mean abrams is really great at giving me some lens flare and really beautiful cinematics but honestly it didn't seem like they were really good storytellers because they didn't understand the heart of what star trek was exactly exactly my point yeah it was <laughs> it was jj jj and this was and again 2009 and in 2013 and again star trek uh, beyond which came out in 2016 was directed by justin lynn who i think was the Fast and Furious guy who was involved in that franchise. Just It was just a complete mismatch for what Star mm-hmm. Trek is all about. You know, Star Trek is, again, it's social commentary. It's looking at things that are happening in our, in, in our world through a sci-fi lens, and those right. three films had none of that. Um, it was just, you know, and J.J. really wanted to, and in 2015 he got his chance because he made The Force Awakens. He wanted to make uh, Star Wars, and he mm-hmm. tried to do it with Star Trek, and it was just... It was it was a farted church as far as I'm concerned. It just did not. It just it it just absolutely didn't land. So, uh, you know, going on and again, I know April can hear me upstairs. She's like she's going to be like, I like those movies. That's okay, yeah, honey. I love Hannah. I love you. Fine. It's okay. She's not responding. I'm glad to yet. know that I'm not going to be witness to a divorce or anything. I guess I, I don't. I don't think the expressions were were really that significant. And again, <laughs> through you know through me, April has now watched the entirety of Star Trek because we did. We had a like a three or four year mission where we watched absolutely everything together. My um, condolences for to her for making or for having to sit through all of TOS. Oh. You know, it's it's kind of like they and well, TAS is the worst one. That original '70s animated series, and again, I cover I covered that with my former co-host Rich back last summer, I think. And ooh, man, that is just again. You and I were revising up the schedule, and I know that you're going to sit in and do Deep Space Nine with me starting in in several weeks. Um, but I, I wouldn't I wouldn't wish Star Trek the animated series on my worst enemy. It's just really really <laughs> difficult to watch. Yeah, um, uh, listeners, uh, Charlie asked me to stay on on a more permanent basis, and I was I thought about it. I was like, okay, here's the deal: I will not do Enterprise, and I will not do the original series. <laughs> yes, contract negotiations were executed, and that was those were the terms. And I, I and you know, as having as much fun as I do with Katie, I I I, we, I willfully agree. Peter will return um, to talk about TA, t- uh, the animated or yeah the original series with me and to talk about enterprise as well. So we will still continue to be the, the three sided triangle as it were. <laughs> um, but yeah, so, you know, uh, you know, we, we were obviously promised several months ago, we were going to see a star Trek film. Now we find out that it's going to be this. Uh, I know that JJ is still producing. They picked another director. And again, I don't have that in front of me, but you know, <laughs> star Trek for me personally has always been this unconditional love affair. I'll go, I'll see it. I'll find a way to embrace it. But I don't have to be happy about it, you know, but that's, you know, that's what love is. Sometimes you get disappointed and that's really what I'm counting on. So, um, you know, I'll tell you what, if you feel differently, fair listeners, and you absolutely love the Kelvin universe and you love the, the JJ Abrams interpretation of Star Trek, please hit us up on Twitter at secret friends, you or at the C3, which is my personal Twitter. And let me know that I'm wrong because again, again, my opinion is no different than the opinion of absolutely anybody out there. I don't have any illusions on being some kind of 
uh, Trek, uh, you know, a lot that I know absolutely everything, but I, I, I mean, I do know everything. This make my opinion any more valid. So anyway, moving on, uh, we've got two new episodes to look at this week. And again, Katie, you and I were, you and I were talking about the schedule and this is really going to explode in the next several weeks because discovery is going to start to overlap with Picard the first part of March. So our episodes are going to get longer and longer. So I hope you enjoy the sounds of our voice because <laughs> there's going to be more of us. But uh, at any rate, yeah, we've got two episodes of Star Trek discovery uh, to talk about this week. The first one is episode eight, all in. Uh, following a hunch, Captain Burnham tracks Book to an old haunt from their courier days, which of course happened in the the gap year that she had when they arrived in season three, uh, when she and she and Book were getting cozy, uh, and gets drawn into a high stakes competition for a powerful weapon. Um, what'd you think, Katie? Um, I can see why this wouldn't be necessarily a fan favorite as coming back from a mid-season break. It was kind of, I would say, like, slow, quote unquote, in like the Mm -hmm. action moving the plot directly forward. Mm -hmm. But overall, I enjoyed it as just kind of coming in, giving a pause to all of like the crazy action that was going on. And it gave things kind of time to simmer. And it's the thing that I like about Discovery is that it's not that kind of like bam, 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 bam action. It takes time to marinate on those moments of uh kind of like the like we were saying like the human moments of like the struggles that you have where like Book right. and Burnham get along really well they love each other but they are at these fundamental crossroads where both of them can understand and empathize with what the other person is going through but they just that doesn't change their mind and it doesn't change their position which is kind of how things happen in real life um I right like that, um uh, oh, 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 uh, or, uh, oh, oh, yeah. Oh, 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 yeah. Joanne, Joanne, yeah. Oh, 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 yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, that she was brought in, um, you know, as sad as I was to see Tilly go, I love that there, this might mean that we get some more chance with the other bridge crew members because we haven't really seen her shine since, uh, season three, I think it was the, uh, season finale in season three where you know she's a badass and was like holding her breath for like 10 minutes <laughs> right exactly or yeah. earlier in season three when they had the awkward dinner party and everybody was arguing with each other so yeah um i'd like that and again subsequently in the next episode they have um they have the 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 asian character and the black character the the i think i'm trying to remember their positions once the tactical officer and maybe once communications officer yeah, and they're yeah. like they're like full-on going so it's like they're really stepping it up, trying to flesh out these bridge officer characters. Mm-hmm. And it reminds me of the fact that, you know, in, in TOS, um, all of the, the characters that we came to know, you know, Sulu and Uhura and Scotty, whatever it is, were not starring characters in the original series. The only starring characters were Kirk, Spock, and McCoy. Mm-hmm. They're the only, they are the only ones that got title credit, but we still got episodes where, you know, Nurse Chapel had an episode and, you know, uh, you know, Uhura had significant this and that or whatever it is. So I like that they're, they're kind of plugging this in. And I, and I like Joanne. She even got a significant role in a season two episode when Captain Pike was involved because it was revealed. Yeah. She, she joined an away mission because she grew up in this like Luddite almost, you know, uh, anti-technology. What's the word I'm looking for? Like, like the Amish. She grew up yeah. in like an Amish. She grew up in like an Amish community, and they were beaming down to a planet that was really technologically kind of backwards, and, and she was critical. So I like that. And again, it's it's super cool that she's you know kind of kind of Jane badass, uh, f- you know, in the boxing ring. So it's just right. it was it was a cool stripe. So I and totally I- agree that. I still say they didn't actually ever say this one way or the other, but it still felt like she totally rolled that dude. Like she was just taking falls 
at right. the first part because then she came in and just wailed on him. She was like, she was. It's like it's like somebody. It's like somebody who's hustling in like a yeah, like a like a pool game. Yeah, she's hustling that dude. Yeah, hustling yeah. That dude. My um my kind of favorite part of this episode is we got this was like uh, Has Mazzaro because I actually have the uh, I have the the memory alpha page up was the um kind of the deal maker hustler shady mm-hmm. dude who was the what is episode i call him mr easter egg because he was throwing out like you know uh i'm throwing out this cardassian this and this uh you know a brussel fly that and this uh devore which is a voyager reference like weird little this and that. he was he was kind of mr easter egg and i absolutely adore that we got to see uh, one of the founders from Deep Space Nine. We got to see a changeling in this episode. Yeah. And I'm like, that's super cool that they have this community of the mm-hmm. entirety of the, and again, I always refer to the map behind me, the entirety of the uh, out of, of the Milky Way galaxy split into four quadrants is now extremely united because there is obviously, there's no issue with, you know, traveling 70,000 light years. So, you know, you're going to see, and I think we saw that even earlier in the season when they had the big intergalactic conference, you have, you know, the Zindi and the Kazon and all these different species that are spread across, you know, all of Star Trek now being able to interact with each other because of superior technology and, and different, you know, wormholes and different ways to travel. So I love that. I would love to learn more about what the dominion looks like in the 32nd century. You know what I mean? Is oh, it integrated? Yeah, it, it, you know, is it integrated? Are the Vorta, you know, did they declare independence? Are, do, are, do the gem, are the gem Hadar no longer a slave species? I would, I would love to see, I would love to, that would satisfy the, the deep space nine lover in me. And the fact that deep space nine has, <laughs> It just absolutely got in the shaft in this postmodern era because all that anybody wants to talk about is TOS and Kirk and Spock and McCoy. And no, I grew up on TNG and DS9. I want to know. And DS, DS9 never got anything. Voyager never got anything. Voyager's getting another chance with Prodigy, and we're seeing mm-hmm. those characters come back to life. But what about Deep Space Nine? It's, it's absolutely killing me. So it was that was probably my favorite part of this episode. That we got a little taste of Deep Space Nine, and I, I really hope that it was not just a throwaway. So that's what I'm, I'm keeping my fingers crossed. Well, and so and we've had references of that, even with the president where she's saying, you know, before, like I would not have, like, I am physically, uh, you know, proof that the Federation works as being part Cardassian and, and, she, and Bajoran and human, which is right. completely crazy. Yeah. yeah. So right. you know, I, I thought that was like a really great tie in. And I think that it's, again, it's one of the things I really like about discovery is that it definitely, they, it feels like they take their time to build a fully fleshed world where even when you have characters like, you know, um, some of the bridge crew where they're maybe not using them every episode, they're still showing them and their reactions to what Burnham is talking about. Like you saw, um, you know, um, Detmer and um, Osakun, they're always making, you know, looks at each other like, oh gosh, what is, what is she saying? What's going on here? What's going right. on here? So you're always getting their reactions. And again, it just makes it feel more lived in, which I really like. Exactly. Exactly. So, all right, moving on. Episode uh, nine. Oh, yes. Is Rubicon, which is, you know, the it invokes the classic images of, you know, crossing the uh, crossing your final frontier. Uh, mm-hmm. Captain Burnham and the USS Discovery race to stop Book and uh, Ruan Tarka from launching the rogue plan that could inadvertently endanger the galaxy. So th- this was your big action episode, without a mm-hmm. doubt. You know, you had a lot of interplay of, you know, ship combat and, uh, you know, tense negotiations and, you know, wanting to, you know, we're, we, you know, uh, g- give me a chance, give me a chance to negotiate this thing or that, you know, give us a week uh, before this thing jumps away. Um, 
And and again, this Ruan Tarka, who is you know the quasi villainous character, you know his his motive. He stated his motivations that like, well, I just you know want a chance to recover you know my life and and, and make the yeah exactly. So I just I still don't I st- I still don't necessarily believe that he's given us his full story uh, because at the end of this, uh, even though book does decide to stand down. Um, Tarka still flips flips a couple of buttons, which I feel like you know you could have just you know turned his panel off and made sure he couldn't do that. But you know you know again Monday morning quarterback. But he launches his weapon at the last minute. He blows up uh, the uh, the mining device that has been you know the uh, the DMA that has been going through and destroying planets, um, uh, which obviously our you know Federation friends and obviously Discovery crew thinks could have tr- uh, you know could trigger the you know the next galactic uh, intergalactic conflict. Uh, but at the end of it, we find out that the species 10 C who controls that device simply drops in another one. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and that's our, you know, cliffhanger moment. Ooh, my God, what is going to happen now? Um, and has now opened up. I know I posted an article on secret friends a little while ago uh, to who exactly this, who is species 10 C they're from outside the galaxy. What are they trying to do? What, you know, what are they trying to do? So it's, um, this was a this was a suitable cliffhanger, I think. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Well, and it's again one of those things where um, I, I really like that you know Nan was back. Yes, love to see that. She's great. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, and it's they they did a lot where they were once again pulling from other stuff that had happened, like Nan and Be- uh, Burnham have a great conversation that kind of ties into Burnham's own lessons back during the um, loss of life that she experienced with mm-hmm. the um, space, space uh, station. You right. Know, because she knows that Nan is very black and white. It is very right or wrong. Mm-hmm. And when, again, they're having these moments of dealing with shades of gray and trying to navigate a very difficult and impossible situation. She's just trying to find that common ground, which has become a repeated theme with Burnham, um, which is, again, I really like. I really like how her character has developed that way. Um, I feel like they kind of did Tarkon dirty. Like, as much as I hate his character, when you're looking at characters that are so fully fleshed out, and his character is just, like, kind of cartoonish with his villainy. It just, <laughs> yeah. He's like, no, a little too much. Like he was introduced as like this, like egomaniac where he's like, right. I'm obviously a super genius. And he's like telling Stamus that he's basically an idiot. And I'm like, okay, come mm-hmm. on, dude. this guy has revolutionized. Like, you know, the spore drive, like, right. come on, shut up. He's fine. Right. <laughs> and it just, it seems like the writers didn't, like just they made him very one note, which I was kind of disappointed by. Like I hate the dude, I hate him, and I right. love to hate him. But it just also felt very transparent. And at some points, I was like, "Come on, book! Like, are you really going to fall for this? Like, this right. guy is literally saying, hey, 'Hey, I'm going to do something that could literally start a war with an incredibly advanced species right. across your entire galaxy, and then I'm going to peace out, motherfucker.' Yeah, right. My own universe, so you have to deal with the consequences." Right. Exactly. Exactly. So yeah, why would you, why would you, you know, talk about betting on the wrong horse and, you know, hitching your wagon to where you shouldn't hit your wagon. So yeah, it's, it's bad. And, Mm -hmm. um, 
But yeah, even more compelling is what we're going to see next week of which, you know, gosh, in our next episode, we'll be talking about those next two uh, mm-hmm. and, and even getting into talking about Picard because we'll have the first episode of that under our belt yes. by that time. So, um, yeah, I'm real curious to see, you know, now that Species 10C has figured out, oh, what the hell happened to our drilling uh, platform? I guess we ought to drop another one in there. So, again, as they pointed out in that in, in the first episode here, they're like, uh, well, this is just their um, mining device. So what the hell do their weapons look like? Oh, I bet we don't want to know about that. So we probably shouldn't poke the bear. Um, right. But now th- but now they poke the bear. So what's going to happen now? Well, and that's the thing is it's like because the episode ended with them being like, oh, well, I guess we've made first contact. And part of me, I was like, they, you might not have, they might not have thought that anything like ha- bad happened to it. Sometimes when you're using a drill, your bit breaks. And so you got to get a new drill. You, you put a new bit on it. And then there you go. You don't think, oh, well, what was in the wood that broke my bit? Fingers crossed. Yeah, exactly. So fingers Let's hope that they don't decide to go, oh, squish, you know, and you're, you're all toast anyway. So, yeah, I'm, I'm really super excited to see where this goes because this mm-hmm. is, yeah, this could have some pretty crazy consequences. So, all right. So wrapping it up uh, and segueing into segment two. I know I can't get Katie to sing again, but I'm going to ask. It's been a long road. And, oh, that's okay. You know what? All I can do is try. That's all right. But anyway, we're getting into, we're now into the uh, third of uh, four segments talking about season two of Star Trek, The Next Generation, uh, Jumpsuit Land, uh, Extraordinaire. So uh, yeah, we're get, we got six episodes to cover here. So we're just going to jump right in. I'll do the first one. Uh, episode 11 is Contagion. Uh, this was uh, directed by Joseph L. Scanlon, uh, written by Steve Gerber and Beth Woods. Again, not huge names uh, that I can uh, remember. Uh, aired, the work of, uh, aired the week of March 20 in 1989. The Enterprise and the Romulan Warbird are attacked by the same computer virus that has already destroyed one Federation starship, the same class as the Enterprise, which is not really relevant. But... Uh, this is the episode that introduces like this super cool race that you end up seeing later in deep space nine called the Iconians, an ancient now extinct race who had a home world in the Romulan neutral zone uh, that had these kick-ass gateways that could instantaneously transport you from one world to the next. So uh, this was for me kind of a standout. Uh, for season two, I thought it was very, it was very Star Trekky. It was well written. Um, you had some great Picard, a little bit more action moments because he insisted on doing this away team where he and Data and Worf beamed down to the Iconian homeworld to try to master uh, this software to, to save the Enterprise. Um, yeah, I really dug this episode. I thought this was a good one. And again, this was during the period of time that I wasn't why, and again, that I wasn't watching the show every week. So I saw this. A couple of years later when I really, you know, was a serious fan of the show and I was like, this is super cool. I really like really dug this episode. It had a lot of great uh, Star Trek elements. This was the first big episode where you explore the Romulans a little bit because their their reintroduction was only in a very brief cameo at the end of season one. So this was our first kind of big Romulan blowout. So I really dug it. I thought it was a good one. Yeah. And I, I really enjoyed um Again, the dynamicism between Picard, Data, and Worf, because that's not a trio that you normally see together a lot at this point. Right. Um, so I thought that the approaches that all three of them had um, was a very cool way to go about figuring out what the system was. And just the way that like Data's curiosity kind of 
bit him in the ass. Yeah, cur- <laughs> curiosity, curiosity killed the cat. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, um, because he becomes almost t- taken over by this virus. And so where normally it would have been a situation where when they get in trouble, Data can just be like, okay, well, I'll just stay here because, you know, I'm technically not alive. So right. anything that happens, like if we lose atmosphere, it's not a big deal. You know, if they have poison, it's not a big deal. Um, mm-hmm. And it ended up being something where like Picard really had to kind of put his money where his mouth is as the captain of the ship and be like, no, if something happens, I'm going to be the one who does this. Like I'm going right. to be the one that makes sure that this ends, everything stops. And, you know, I'll be the one who goes down with the ship, so to speak, even though, you know, obviously he wasn't on the ship. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And in the end of it, it was data. Data figured out how to outsmart the computer. They were able to. They data rebooted himself, and they mm-hmm. turned around and rebooted the Enterprise computer. Uh, they were then able to, you know, send it to the Romulans and kind of selfishly save them. And then Picard was able to engineer, uh, you know, kind of auto overload where the Iconian stuff was destroyed. So yeah, cool. Very cool Star Trekky plot. So this yeah. was this was I thought a very much a bright spot. Uh, of season two and again katie you'll appreciate this not very much dr pulaski in this episode which i think probably (laughs) which i think probably helped a lot even though she did she did have one snotty scene where she was like cutting up one of her medical techs she's like she's like yeah dude use a split because he's got a broken leg and he's like that's not practically medicine whatever and he's like no dickhead you use a piece of wood or whatever to keep a leg immobile and that's regular medicine with your you know with your hands and your heart and your head kind of like one of these you know read a book or whatever dude it's just like she's just very snide you know which yeah yeah Yeah. Yeah. i mean i did i I also liked the moments because they're talking about this Iconian race and they're talking and they're saying, you know, like, oh, well, they were able to like travel great, you know, distances. And that, you know, I felt like they were kind of having this critique a little bit of like colonizer vibes of being like, very well, 100%. Yeah, just because you can travel doesn't mean you should travel and take over other worlds. Yeah, demons of air and darkness, I believe, was the description. Yeah, it was total, total colonizer vibes, total like, hey, we're here to bring you Christianity and give you smallpox blankets. It's not a good thing. (laughs) It's it's a big thumbs down. All right, moving on. Uh, Episode 12 is the Royale. Royale. Katie, all you. Yes. Um, the Enterprise investigates the wreckage of a 21st century space cr- spaceship orbiting a distant planet at the appearance of a casino with inhabitants based on a rather poorly written paperback novel. It's called The Royale. Uh, the uh, director was Cliff Boyle and uh, Tracy Torme. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was aired March 27th, 1989. Mm. What, what, what a fun throwaway episode. <laughs> Again, it has zero bearing or relevance on anything at all. It's, it's very, it's very much a filler episode, but they, they have some, some super fun moments. They have, uh, uh, and again, I again just pluck it out of my memory of remembering ridiculous uh, things. They have a guest star uh, who's pretty famous in TV circles. His name is Noble Willingham, uh, mm-hmm. older gentleman. He was the, he was the older guy who was kind of seducing the younger woman at the at the tables, and he was just kind of. I think he just he went by text and he had a big cowboy hat and oh, stuff. Yes, and he did. it's just like you know. And again, <laughs> it was everything. Every every it was a poorly written novel, but every single character was a super duper lame ass stereotype. You had uh, the bellboy who was in love with the girl who was oh, the Rita. gangster's girlfriend yeah rita who was she was oh you got her hooked on the smack and blah 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 and then you you know you had yeah like i said the card shark who was seducing the young woman and then you had the uh the hotel manager who was very by the button and uh yeah it was it's all you know really revealed that yeah an alien race back in the 21st century somehow swept up this earth probe the the 
Shabidris or Kabidris. It was it had a weird name. And the, the the only person who survived was the commander of the mission, who they stuck him in this recreation of the book that was on his ship. And it's like basically like name a shitty, but like like a Fabio novel that you would find in the grocery store checkout lane. Think about if instead of dying, you ended up stuck in that novel Worst for the rest of your life. Worst, Worst purgatory. <laughs> It'd be like if you were stuck in the Twilight novels for the rest of your oh, life, and yes. you and you were Bella, you know, <laughs> or I was Edward, you know what I mean. So, um, again, a super throwaway episode. Obviously, at the end, our, our, our gang figures out uh, how to get out, and I thought it was fun, but again, largely irrelevant. You know, oh what I mean? yeah, so, it was definitely. It felt like they just. I feel like they sometimes Star Wars or Star Wars, not Star Wars, Star Trek. Whoa, hello. <laughs> hello. Um, has this kind of self-awareness where they're like, we are sometimes cheesy and we're just going to lean into that. Like every time this bellboy showed up and started talking about Rita and Mickey D, you'd have this like really bad, like cliche, like kind of Casablanca music sh- start playing. Right. Like, on cue immediately and you know mickey d comes in and you can tell he's the bad guy because he's got his trench coat on but he's not wearing the sleeves it's just draped over his shoulders and he's in a white suit um and it's just so it's so funny i mean there were some really fun to like because they see the commander's old uniform and they see that it's got 52 stars on it and it's Mm -hmm. so data says it's somewhere between like 2033 and 2079 is right data and i'm like wait please don't tell me it takes us like another 20 or like another 11 years to finally give puerto rico statehood <laughs> and then Probably, it happens uh, in 2079 <laughs> uh well actually it's it's trying to let hawaii secede <laughs> in in 27 it's funny because in 2079 here's a little inside baseball for you that was the setting of q's courtroom in the mm-hmm. in the counter far point the first episode right. so that was supposed to be the post-atomic horror, even though we know that World War III took place in 20, 2053, because in 2063 is when first contact took place between the humans and the Vulcans. So I'm not exactly sure. So I'm going to go with I'm not exactly sure, and then uh, we will move on. So I mean, Literally, yeah, I paused the episode because I was like, wait, what does this mean? What are <laughs> the, like, looking at st- the states list? Because I'm like, wait, what happened? How did what, how many do we get this many states? <laughs> oh, my gosh. Holy cow. It's a, it's a it's a conundrum it's a conundrum wrapped in a vest. So <laughs> I exactly correct. All right, episode thirteen of the season, Times Squared, uh, directed by Joseph L. Scanlon, screenplay Kurt Michael Bensmiller and Maurice Hurley uh, from April third of nineteen eighty nine. Uh, boy, they don't really give us much here. The Enterprise discovers a duplicate of Picard from six hours in the future. Well, come on, you know, bury the lead here um, again. Super duper Star Trekky kind of plot line, you know. Mm-hmm. You got to you got to twist in time. Uh, you have a you know, should we do this? Should we do that? What's going to result in us uh, surviving? Because again, Enterprise is going along. They find the shuttle pod floating in space. They bring it in, and they a comatose Captain Picard is sitting in there. And you know, once they manage to revitalize the systems of the shuttle, he has a log entry which shows that. Uh, they were trapped in this anomaly, and Picard jumped on a shuttle pod, hoping that if he, because the anomaly was focused on him, if he left, the anomaly would let the Enterprise escape, and it didn't. It blew the Enterprise up. So, you know, the closer you know, as they're going through this mystery and trying to figure out what to do, as they get closer to the time, the the other Picard wakes up, 
and uh, the current Picard has to find a way to resolve it, which is just awesome. His idea to resolve it is he just kills the other guy. So like, I'm like, oh, Brian's face when he does that is just he's like, like, what the fuck? <laughs> just sitting there like, so we now have learned we do not fuck with Picard. He will, I, just, he will just like shank you. I think no regrets. (laughs) I think now don't F blank blank K with Picard is the name of this episode. Yeah, you don't at all. Because it was just like he gets out and he just turns around and like not even hesitation, just straight up. And so like that point I was like, did, is that technically a suicide or is that a murder? Like, how does this, is this the I'm my own grandpa situation? (laughs) That is, that is the classic murder suicide, but it's with, the same person? person yeah yeah the same person but it's too bad i don't oh my god i have right? no idea i have no idea so anyway yeah cool episode but again you know it's it's very star trekky uh and again i wouldn't say it was a throwaway but i think it you know kind of proved that picard is he's very analytical he figured out that the only way oh, to yeah. end the, the only way to end the standoff was to eliminate the recurrent factor, which was this other Picard who's like, I can only do this one thing. And then they turned around and they just flew at the center of the cloud and then they got out. Yeah. So, yeah, the the, the wonders of space stuff. <laughs> um, so uh, moving on, this next episode is, is, again, one of my favorites of season two. So go ahead, please. Oh, yes. Uh, da, da, da. The Icarus Factor. Or no, yes. Like- yeah, the Icarus yeah. by uh, Robert S. Cove, um, and it's got Robert McCullen and David Essel. Mm-hmm. Um, when Commander Reichert is offered a command of the starship Ares, his estranged father, Kyle Riker, is sent My by goodness. Starfleet to brief him on the mission. Meanwhile, Data, LaForge, Dr. Pulaski, Wesley, and O'Brien help Worf celebrate the anniversary of his Rite of Ascension. Oh, there's so much going on in this episode. So much going on in this episode. Oh my god! You know, again, uh, you know, as a as a as a father who has pretty complicated relationships with my kids, I have I have a stepson, and then I have two sons of my own. All endlessly complicated relationships. Father son stuff is it's it's in a lot of ways the same as mother daughter stuff. You know what I mean? And I think I think less um, blind jujitsu going on with a lot less. Yes. I I agree that even though my father and I have had a complicated relationship and we're very close now, there was at no point did we engage in martial arts to kind of settle our differences, but no, there's a lot of, there's a lot of uh, kind of Riker's backstory revealed here. Uh, His, his father uh, basically abandoned him when he was 15, which is apparently not a big deal in the, in the, legal machinations of uh 24th century earth it's just kind of like a big deal um i think it's just Riker then had to make his own way right because i think that kyle didn't think it was a big deal because he basically told him to get over it (laughs) yeah right yeah yeah because well yeah it's really revealed you know here and then a little bit later on in other episodes that Riker's mother uh died when he was five years old they didn't necessarily say why Mm -hmm. um but that was kind of the that was the breaking point between father and son they could never really put it back together after that time and eventually a cow Riker just went off chasing his career and Will Riker just kind of grew up on his own. They never really got into that, but Will Riker was an incredibly driven individual. He went off to Starfleet Academy. He, you know, relentlessly pursued a career and became, you know, first officer of the enterprise before he was age 30. So he was, he was a big shot. Um, But yeah, his dad coming back uh, after a 15 year absence really shook him to the core. And again, Mm -hmm. 
this episode as you know as a both a father and a son really spoke to me and and always has and i watched this one and i'm like i really intently pay attention to it and then the interaction between Riker and troy when Riker thinks he's leaving is Mm -hmm. again very touching to me you know what i mean because because again the underlying love that exists between these two characters that they can just never finally get out of their own way and say we should be together because you're my soulmate i'm yours but you know let's do this dance for the next 15 years why not (laughs) um because it's tv um was was great and and i i do love it at the end that there was some variety of closure uh mm-hmm. between uh, father and son we don't end up seeing um the cow record character again but in a lot of ways we don't necessarily need to because we kind of got in my opinion everything we needed out of this episode was seeing them starting on a road to redemption so we don't need to have oh they're going on vacation together or his dad gets remarried and has another kid or something it's like we don't need any of that bullshit mm-hmm. so Definitely this th- this i thought was pretty concise um yeah. the other part of it with wharf and his right of ascension fun um trivia piece one of the klingons in the holodeck sequence where uh, Worf is getting stabbed with the pain sticks, played by Entertainment Tonight host John Tesh. No shit. If you even know who that is, which I don't know if you do. I do, yes. Holy cow. Okay, good. <laughs> no, absolutely did. There was a making of, and if you watch, if you watch, and God, they're gone now. Um, but no, no, TNG is still on Netflix. If you mm-hmm. scroll, if you scroll to, I think, like you watch all the episodes and you get through season seven, there's a, there's a, a documentary hosted by Jonathan Frakes that was produced at the time of the last episode. And I think there's a little segment where John Tesh comes on and says, I was one of the Klingons that was stabbing him or whatever. So that's how I know about <laughs> it. But, but that, but that was pretty cool. And this was again, kind of pre uh, Ronald D Moore, who comes, uh, comes along mm-hmm. as a writer uh, in season three and becomes kind of the architect of all modern Klingon stories. Uh, this was the story that kind of predated that and, and established that right of ascension uh, as the fact that, you know, a Klingon society is all about torture. <laughs> In on its surface, yes, but I would also say that they very specifically wrote this story with Worf to kind of act as a juxtaposition between Riker having his dad there and being forced in this repeatedly feeling forced into this familiar relationship, right? And Worf mourning the fact that he doesn't have a family to go or, through this rite of ascension or culture, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so right. at the end of it, you have it where Worf is realizing that he has, you know, the found family mentality because right. while data is going through saying, I mean, first off, let's let's take a pause and appreciate we need one hundred percent Worf or more Worf yelling at Wesley. Just one hundred percent more. I it, loved how he just starts out and he just basically tells Enough him, Yeah, he just he tells him to shove off and I love it. And 100, 100% Worf going with to Data, with all due respect, be gone! Right? Sir. Yeah. Sir. Sir. So much, <laughs> so much disrespectful respect. I love it. Right. Yeah. With, with all due respect, go yeah. fuck yourself. Thank you. Right. Exactly. So there was never even a pause when Data's explaining this ritual of saying, you know, well, you know, they stab him with these poles and then he says, and you know, and their, his family's at the end to, you know, to receive him. And someone says, Oh, well, his, his family's not here. And they go, okay, well, well then we'll be there. There was right. never even a question or an, a weirdness of like, Oh, well, would that be okay for us to be there? Is that going to be like awkward? Do you think Warwood would consider us family? It was immediately like, Nope, we're his family. We will definitely be there at the end to like kind of help pick him up after he's gone through this really traumatic thing. Right. Right. And that was really beautiful, especially with 
having it juxtapos- juxtaposition with Riker having to deal with his dad. And I was really interested to see what your take was. Obviously, you know, I am presenting as a woman, so I have a lot to talk about with the mother-daughter stuff, but not so much about the father-son. I do have a very difficult relationship with, you know, my mother where it's felt very much for me this episode was almost triggering because like Kyle is very much a classic narcissist as far as like the abuse that he put Riker through just his entire thing is what about me and my needs he's very competitive you find out that he cheated while he was like training his son in this battle technique because he just couldn't handle the idea of losing to him because everything had to be about him and even when you have you know Riker being five and losing his mother you know, right. sitting there going, well, she was my wife. How do you think that made me feel? And I'm like, oh, right. my me, me, yeah, me, me, me. Exactly. Right. So, so it it's very, it's a very typical, it's very, uh, it's a very typical male archetype and, and, mm-hmm. and fathers and sons being males. It's back and forth. You know, the yeah, child may was, think the like embodied yeah. masculinity. In right. Well, no, absolutely. The yeah. child may think me, 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 but the adult may think me, me, me. And there, the, there's, there's gotta be this mentality of, of us and us sharing this experience. Right. And you're right. Well, it at was, one point, the, you know, one of them is five. So them right. saying me, me, me is understandable at that point. Right. Somebody, somebody's got to be the adult. And in this case, right. nobody was. And so, yeah, it took an extra 20 years for them to get this resolved. But they did, which to me, I think is very important for all fathers and sons to think that, you know, and again, I, I have a, I have an almost 22-year-old son and we've been estranged for a lot of years, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I have those same hopes that, you know, I have these same hopes that, on the back deck of my house one day, he and my younger son and I, many years from now, will sit and share a beer and we will work our shit out. Mm-hmm. Because I'm a believer in the fact that life is long and there, there is, you know, every day is a chance to get things right if you can just swallow your pride and speak honestly, be humble, and to compromise and to right. listen. And there, honestly, I feel like they never really did that in this episode. Yeah, exactly. So like I said, it could be, you know, does that happen later on? There is kind of a sitcom-y vibe of how they wrap it up like, <laughs> I love you, son. And so, you know, uh, something happened off screen or in a book somewhere that they, they got it, you know, wrapped up later on. But regardless, I mean, you're right. I think you're right. The juxtaposition between the Wharf story and the Riker story um, I think provided great character development for both characters. Mm-hmm. I was, I was, I was super happy with it. So, oh, anyway, moving on to <laughs> kind of an insignificant episode before we get to the big enchilada. Uh, this would be, uh, this would be episode fifteen, Pen Pals, uh, directed by Winrich Colby, who actually went on to direct Star Trek Generations, I think. So he, he's a kind of a big name in in, in TNG. Uh, written by Hannah Louise, uh, screenplay by Hannah Louise Shearer, uh, teleplay by Melinda Snodgrass. Uh, from May of 1989, Data makes contact with a young girl. Ugh tired ass plotline from a pre-warp civilization uh, on a planet facing imminent annihilation. Uh, the enterprise must wrestle with the moral dilemma of violating the prime directive. We're standing by while data's friend dies. So you're right. That's the a story. Um, the B and it has a very young, the young girl heavily under makeup is actress, Nikki Cox, who went on to have her own sitcom and some different stuff. It's just a, a Google it. And she grew up to be a, you know, a, a young lady who had her own sitcom later on. So, you know, one of those, like, like Kirsten Dunst was in a later episode of TNG when she was young. So I did not know that as was Ashley Judd, who was Wesley's girlfriend, uh, in a season five episode. But, um, the, 
the B story was Wesley getting his first chance to command people and kind of getting kicked around, uh, which is not surprising because that's kind of what Wesley does. Um, you know, I did. I find it to be kind of a forgettable, forgettable episode. Yeah, I kind of did. You know, it didn't. You know, it's wedged between two to me monumental episodes of season two, and 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 one of which is monumental to the entire Star Trek franchise, which we'll talk about in a minute. So this episode was kind of mad to me. I don't know. I mean, what did you think? Yeah, it was. Um, I mean, I was. I'm going to be honest. I grew up on a ranch, so when. Uh... Picard called for an Arabian. I was like, okay, are they going to actually give me an Arabian? Because I know what that horse looks like. And they did. And he also what? seems to be a decent rider. Because I had two things I look at whenever someone tries to get on a horse. <laughs> Just zero, a I had zero idea that that was your background. My my, fa- <laughs> my father and my stepmother are avid equestrians. Actually, they, they each have horses that they stable uh, at a farm in uh, Metamora, Michigan, which is actually Todd's hometown. You want to talk about small world. It's all oh, that's over. Yeah. Bit. Over in eastern Eastern Michigan, uh, east of Flint, Michigan. So, yeah, isn't that funny? So, I, I've I've been around a lot. Yeah, I had no idea. That's really interesting. Yeah. Um. But it seemed for me, it seemed very strange that Data would first off make contact. Like, I get his initial answering of the question because he just gets this voice of, "Is anyone out there?" Just asking, "Is anyone out there?" And he says, "Yes," because he's answering a you know a question. Right. But the fact that he wouldn't immediately go to Picard and be like, "Hey." I just found this civilization. They're reaching out and I may have answered them. Like that seemed very strange. And then randomly shows up and is like, Oh, for, by the way, for the last eight weeks, I've been talking. I know it's like, dude. And he's, you know, he's, he's very, he's very, he's a friggin' Android. He's very by the book. You wouldn't think that he would just go rogue on something like this. So it's, it seems you're right. It seems very out of character that, that there would have been this big gap. Uh, in the time frame that that it would have been like this, so yeah, that's that seemed very weird to me. I totally agree. Yeah. So, and I mean, I think that overall, it, it I liked the conversations that were going on as far as like what happens when you know you violate the Prime Directive, and Picard is talking to you know the core team, and he's like, okay, well, you know, is it okay if we violate it if there is a famine or a plague? Is it okay if we violate it if you know we realize there's a meteor that's going to be crashing down? And they're like, well, you know, yeah, sure, sure. And, you know, Pulaski's really avid about this. And I can understand from her perspective that she is talking, you know, she obviously is, you know, protecting life, protecting, you know, and nurturing and making sure everyone is safe. That is very much a core tenet. She becomes kind of this gruff mom kind of figure where she's she's tough, but she's there. Right. Um, And (laughs) I I loved it because he goes, well, what about war? You know, if they're, you know, or enslavement, you know, do we go then? And I was like, well, those are man, you know, man, quote, quote, you know, or I guess living entity made problems where, you know, family. Yeah, come on, man. Women could do that too, you know. It's it's (laughs) equality. Well, I was also talking, you know, not necessarily humanoid. Yes. Problems, but obviously sentiently life problems. So I was like, that seems like that would be a a difference. Um, But there were some really great conversations that were going on with the prime directive, but it seemed like because there was so much other stuff going on in the conversation or in the episode that it didn't really get a chance to have that meat to it. Yeah. And I think if they would have just let the given some of that time away from Wesley being like, Oh, I don't know how to be a leader. Like the, come on, Wesley. (laughs) 
So, yeah, exactly. Nut, nut up or shut up. There's your Wesley line right there. Yeah. You know, yeah. So he's like, well, I don't think the guys push me around because you won't do what I want or whatever. It's like, shut up. You know, there's another shut up Wesley for you right there. Right, exactly. You know, eh, look, at, look at the back of my hand. Slap. <laughs> Bad news. Oh. So I wish that they would have kind of taken some of that out so you could have had some of those bigger moments because it seemed like unless you're giving – the the writers and the directors a chance to really stew on it you're not going to get those mm-hmm. episodes like we had with um the trial and that sort of thing because those episodes right. are more singularly focused on that right. kind of issue of humanity and question of the moral gray right and then they what? were really able to create a meaty episode out of it Right, which is Star Trek's sweet spot and always has been. That yeah. yeah, exactly. That moral dilemma and the the impossible choice and trying to figure out exactly what to do. So mm-hmm. uh well this next episode, which is one of the landmark of the early uh there 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 is no right choice in this one. Uh this is episode sixteen, Q Who. Uh, directed by Rob Bowman, written by Maurice Hurley. Uh, from May of 1989, Q throws the Enterprise into uncharted space where it encounters and is engaged by a dangerous alien vessel of a previously unknown species, the Borg! Yes! Uh, when the vessel... My screen went dark. When the vessel instantly and effortlessly overwhelms the Enterprise, Picard realizes that the Federation may not be as ready for the future as they thought. Woo! Oh my God! This was like I said of, of benchmark episodes where it's just like, oh my God! We really, you know, going on. we meet our first intractable Star Trek enemy. You know, they 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 really can't be beat. You might think you get an advantage because you zap one, and you know from that very first one that yeah, Q comes along and he's like, I want to be a member of the crew because brr And then we find out that Guinan shows up and she's like, Yeah, this guy's a total dickhead. You ought to really send him away. And and he says she's okay, totally well, awful. Let's, you got to send her away. So the, let's okay. take a pause here and talk about how Guinan and Q know each other and have had run-ins in the past. And don't, and don't you think that might show up in Picard is season two oh, because both God, characters are in it? Yes, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. Because there is so much, there's so much that I need to know about Guinan's character because yes, he does like this like cat like you know mantis like oh yeah her, her body pulse. type stance of trying to like she's you know and. Q is calling her an amp, and I'm like, Q, you're not a good judge of character. In fact, I think Picard even says something like that, where he's like, you're describing yourself. Right. Every, chaos. I, I love her. <laughs> you know what? That would be that would be a great episode. How would we put her karate stance into a title for the episode? Give me something. Oh, I have no idea. I have oh, no idea. <laughs> if, something com- if something comes to us, we will. But anyway, Q says, Picard is like, yeah, you know, we're, we're good. We're like, can face whatever's going on out here. And Q is like, oh, really? Snap. And then they end up in the path of a Borg cube. And- Which, to be fair, that was not something that Picard was going to be facing anytime soon, except for Q threw him seven years was, yeah, so, yeah. his range from exactly. the base. <laughs> right. So, yeah, you're right. The, 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 the Borg would have kind of flopped along eventually. And it's funny because the, the further Star Trek goes along, and obviously Star Trek Voyager with the character of Seven of Nine – really 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 develops the board culture and we find out that oh they travel and they have big transwarp hubs with throughout the galaxy that they can instantaneously go from point a to point b so it's weird that they even hadn't found earth by this point but again you know the universe you know the galaxy being so vast they've got you know lots of other things to do before they get to you know to the federation which is just like well you know the federation is whatever um 
But yeah, I, you know, the, the Borg instantly say, well, you know, and even Q says, well, they've identified your vessel as something that they want to consume. And then they set out to do exactly that. They cut off a piece of the hull and, you know, 18 people die in the process and they're analyzing it. And then from that point, um, you know, where previously they could shoot a phaser beam and, and, and you know, knock, knock a Borg drone out because one of them beamed into engineering and that's what Worf had to do. Um, they start, you know, shooting phaser beams and firing torpedoes and oh, well, the, Borg, the Borg have adapted, though they don't say at this point, but the Borg quickly analyze and adapt any technology they encounter and they find a way to get around it. Um, so they truly are uh, undefeatable because, again, functioning as a hive mind, you blow up that one ship and they're like, oh, good, we're good. No, nope, there's just another 50 ships that are going to show up. And, and again, it becomes a much bigger piece of not only, you know, at the end of next season, the best of both worlds two-parter where the, the Borg finally make their big play, but all throughout Voyager of just how friggin' scary the, the Borg really are because they all they really want is – you to become part of their collective they don't have any political aims they're not malevolent they simply have this one goal to absorb everything they don't explore they don't explore they absorb mm-hmm. um so yeah so at the end of it q says well i guess you learned your lesson so he shoots him back again and then you know you see uh Guinan and picard uh, playing chess at the end of it and i loved his line uh saying well maybe what q gave us uh, was what we really needed, which was a kick in our complacency, which basically yeah. is you know, a, kick, a kick in the ass to say, hey, you know, pull your head out of your rear end because you're not ready. And maybe you really ought to spend a little bit more time figuring out that you don't need to go out so far because there's scary shit out there and you're not ready for it. Well, and it's again, it's that I felt like the episodes you were watching, there was just a theme of juxtaposition because you had mm-hmm. this kind of back and forth between Picard and Q, which really they end up being kind of two sides of the same coin again, where you have Picard who know, knows and respects Q and who he is and what he can do. Because there's a point where he says something to Q and Q flat up asks him, oh, are you mocking me? And he's like, no, absolutely not. You are exactly who we are out here to try to discover, which are unknown life forms of unknown power and unknown origins. You like basically saying you are exactly what Starfleet wants to find. You are it. You are the you know culmination of everything we've worked for. And then Q at the end is you know making Picard basically beg to say, "Hey Q, we need your help." Yeah, right. Um, you know, we are out of our depth. We don't know what we're doing. We're all going to die. And Q is like, oh, you know, it takes a big man to be able to admit when they're wrong. And I'm like, this is Picard, though. Picard has no issue saying we're out of our depth because that's why he's so good at his job is because what? he can look it, and it, analyze something and be like, this isn't going to work. So we need to find a different way. Yeah. Where Kirk, Kirk would have been like, let's just die shooting at him. Woo! Yeah, exactly. So yeah, like, right. It became one of those things where Q just inherently doesn't understand who Picard is or what drives Picard because Q can't understand not being just fully involved with yourself. Right. And it becomes one of those things where, you know, Starfleet, they want to go out and they discover, but they are limited by their, you know, by their literal physicality and the self-imposed, you know, regulations through like the prime directive and everything where Q has no such boundaries and he just interferes as he sees fit because that's what Q does. He is, you know, he's a little chaos goblin essentially. Right. And so it's kind of, you know, he's out there exploring and messing with everything. And Starfleet is like, yeah, we want to explore, but we're going to explore within our means. And so that's where you get that kind of duality going. 
Chaos Goblin, now the Q, <laughs> the Chaos Goblin, now the name of the episode. There you go. Oh, I love it. Oh, this is good stuff. So, uh, and with that, we wrap. So, Katie, uh, you know, so we're on to the third segment of season two. I think this was an improvement over segment mm-hmm. two to yeah, me. Definitely. I think it had, it had my two favorite episodes of the season and, and, and possibly a third with Contagion. So, yeah, I like it. Um, I will absolutely tell you I will not have that same opinion of the first segment because just I was do, I was mm-hmm. getting our flows updated and look at those episodes. And I'm like, oh, there's some stinkers in here. And completing the absolutely including the absolute worst ending uh to the season which i will not spoil for anyone who's not seen it but again <laughs> uh if you're listening to this and you've not seen this please go in you know feel free to to go in watch the episodes and give us your own thoughts uh on this episode by hitting us up on twitter or certainly uh at the facebook group but uh katie your thoughts on the segment do you agree was this an improvement yeah i think there was there was some hits and misses um i think overall it was it was good um i mean i do have to say um just on episode 16 i I'm sad that Sonia didn't get more playtime. Uh, she yeah. was the, the kind of character that she ended up spilling hot chocolate onto Picard. She was like the first character that showed up. Um, and she definitely but, was kind of coded as neurodivergent, I think. Um, mm-hmm. But they just kind of wrote her off as um, kind of ditzy. But she does come back in Lower Decks. Exactly. And, and, and we're going to be talking about it. Yeah. She's great. And she also had non-canonically, she had a long run in a an ebook series called, I think, uh, Starfleet Corps of Engineers, though I've never read it myself. I was, mm-hmm. I was aware of her involvement. So regardless, um, yes. yeah, loved it. And uh, But anyway, that's our show uh, for this week. So Katie, uh, do your honors, please, and take us up on out of here. Yeah, you can find us uh, um, online at the new secretfriendsunite.com and hit us up at secretfriendsu on Twitter and let us know what you're enjoying in the Trek world. And you can subscribe to our YouTube channel and visit us on Public Tea for all kinds of swag. You got it. And as always, uh, for more information about Starfleet International, uh, peel, please feel free to visit the Grand Petoskey and Region 13 on Facebook. Friends, as always, thank you for joining us. I'm going to tell you that sharing is caring and to keep on trekking. Wherever you go, go boldly. This podcast is part of the Secret Friends Unite podcasting network. Visit secretfriendsunite.com for more great shows, articles, news, reviews, and more. Secret Friends Unite podcasts are available on Apple, Google, Spotify, and other podcast services around the world. If you'd like to be part of the conversation, you can join us on Facebook or our new Discord server, or follow at Secret Friends U on Twitter. Please subscribe to Secret Friends Unite on YouTube and visit our merch store at tpublic.com. Just search Secret Friends Unite. Thanks for listening.